And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. This is a rock and roll museum. You guys don't belong in here. <laughs> they ranted. They fainted. Their eyes were glassy. Some pulled their hair out. Some tore their dresses. They threw notes of a very... Uh, undesirable nature on the stage. I'll tell you all about it. Welcome to Long Play, a podcast where nerds rock out with their Spock out. Presented by Two True Freaks. I am your co-host tonight, Mr. Luke Giaconetti, and with me this evening is my good friend and fellow headbanger extraordinaire, the hair metal hero, Mr. Chris Tyler. Hello, Chris. Scream for me, long play! <laughs> I used to be able to hit that note. Uh, well, I, you know, there's other people in the house right now. <laughs> Scream for me, New York City! That's as good as I can do. Rose Dickinson is an arsehole! Sorry. <laughs> And uh, if you couldn't guess from that intro tonight, uh, the, the two resident metalheads on uh, the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network are going to be taking a look at one of, uh, I think, one of the seminal albums of 80s heavy metal. We're taking a look at uh, Iron Maiden and their concept album from 1988, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Yes. So all those jokes about episode seven being obvious now <laughs> should all make sense. We, we hope. <laughs> And, and the other interesting thing about Seventh Son, of course, is that uh, it is a true concept album. It does tell a story. Yeah. And, you know, Maiden had, uh, they had dabbled in this a little bit. The previous album, Somewhere in Time, had a, a, a strong theme about, you know, time and uh, deja vu and history and all that. But it gets taken kind of to the next level here. And the story goes that um, Steve Harris, who's the, the bassist and one of the founding members, uh, had you know that it was their going to be their seventh album, and he had read the story by uh, Orson Scott Card, Seventh Son, and he said, "Hey, we could do something like that because it's Seventh Son," and it just kind of s- snowballed from there, and it ended up uh, turning from just a general theme into an overall story, telling the story of the Seventh Son of a Seventh Son and the various trials and tribulations he had in, in his really really lousy, very short life. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, any, any thoughts you want to share in the album before we get into it here, Chris? Um, you know, it's uh, Maiden's my favorite band. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you put me on the spot, they're always going to be my 1A. Um, 
and this album is the culmination of the direction that they were sort of barreling towards through the first six albums going from a very you know from the from the leather and studs of the, of the first two albums to the you know the Nawabum, the new wave of British heavy metal stuff from uh, you know uh, number of the beast and, and peace of mind to where this by the time they get to to power slave and somewhere in time the songwriting is incredibly complex uh, the, the arrangements are complex um, and it's just you know, they, they started to, to mess around with the synthesizer on, on uh, somewhere in time. And at this point, it's full-blown. It's like, there's, there's no holds bad on this one. It's, they're saying, you know, we're going to do what we want to do. We're going to put in the stuff that most headbangers don't want to hear. You know, with the sort of high-concept uh, orchestration and uh, the synthesizer. But um, it's really... You know, it's where else could they go? You know, and it, and it's and it makes sense because after this, it's it gets very stripped back down again. Exactly. Yes. Now let me ask you a question. Uh, when did you get into Iron Maiden? Oh, high school. Mm-hmm. So the nineties. Yep. Yep. That was a. I was a freshman in college, so it was nineteen ninety-eight. I know. I know I have the exact origin story of when I became an Iron Maiden fan. All right. Uh, my my freshman year roommate at Clemson University uh, had Number of the Beast on CD. I said, hey, you know, I should listen to this. I've never, I've never, I keep hearing about Iron Maiden, but never listened to him. So I, I borrowed his uh, his copy of Number of the Beast, and that was all she wrote. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and then, uh, and that, and from there, it was like, oh my god! And uh, going down, we used to have a manifest music. I don't know if you have those up there. No, no. Yeah, the manifest used to be in downtown Clemson, and anyone who uh, went to Clemson in, in the '90s knows manifest. I mean, we used to have a place called the Spitting Mule, and I used to just hit them up and buy as many Maiden albums as I could get my hands on, and that <laughs> led me getting into Halloween and Gamma yeah. Ray and Blind Guardian and all these other you know uh, European bands that all kind of uh, hit the same same kind of genre as as Maiden. And so uh, it's I said it was a relatively late thing for me growing up in the '80s. But then it just it just went full bore from there on. <laughs> yeah, it's uh my uh my former brother-in-law is a, a big '80s '80s rocker guy, and uh, I mean you know I was I was already listening to like Poison and Guns N' Roses and and a bunch of that stuff. Um, but oh my god, he had like I don't even know how many cassette tapes he had, like <laughs> uh, in the hundreds. You know, and like the most random stuff, like, you know, he had like the Mama's Boys and TKO and like the most stuff that nobody even talks about, Jafria, like everything. And and he's like, he's like, you like some of the heaviest stuff, right? And I was like, yeah, he's like, all right. And I used to work with him in Government Center in Boston and he brought in. Uh, <laughs> number of the beast on tape <laughs> and uh he you know and we had it in the office and uh we i mean he would just blasted it and i was like oh my god this is awesome <laughs> actually i think he had he brought that and i think he brought and i think he brought uh killers as well oh yeah so it was like 
oh man and so i heard both you know i heard the first two singers like right from the jump and i was like this this is amazing mm-hmm. uh you know so it's the same same sort of thing with me like after that it was i, I want everything you yeah. know <laughs> so um yeah it was all kind of downhill from there <laughs> or uphill depending on how you how you want to look at it uphill but it's kind of a downhill uh spiral into uh obsession you know <laughs> a little bit a little bit Maiden produces these kinds of feelings that we ourselves don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But getting into the album, we lead off the album with uh, the first track, which is entitled Moonchild. Seven deadly sins, seven ways to win, seven holy paths to hell and your trip begins. Seven downward slopes, seven bloodied hopes, Seven are your burning fires, seven your desires. And uh, now, I believe we both saw Maiden on the same tour a couple of years ago, didn't we? Uh, two summers ago, yeah. With Alice Cooper, right? With, yeah, with Cooper. Yeah, and, and uh, Moonchild was the opening song on that show because uh, they were playing on the... It was the anniversary of uh, their, their Seventh Son tour. Yeah. And so they, they started with Moonchild, and wow, what a way to, to get things kicked off. And we start with that very in the 80s prog rock intro yeah <laughs> and it, it's, it's just long enough to like oh man has maiden gone soft on us and then everything goes bananas yeah. and uh, it just explodes in, typ- in typical maiden style Somewhere in time, this is a very aggressive sound. I mean, Bruce almost sounds like he's he's growling out the I, lyrics. Yeah, that's he's he's doing voices on this one, depending on who's speaking. You know, this yeah, he really only has like two registers on this, but um, you know, he he does try to differentiate a little bit. And it's interesting again because uh, normally his voice you associate uh, Bruce with this kind of you know high higher range high pitch, but on uh, Moonchild especially, he's he's very. Uh, like I said, very low range and very growling and, and angry sounding. And the subject matter is pretty dark, also in this uh, song. Yeah, if it's if it's what what I've been reading about it, you know, it's 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 the devil telling the uh, the woman who's going to have the seventh son that you're pretty much fucked. Yeah, and telling her to uh, kill kill the child now and spare the rest of your children. Yeah, and uh, I mean uh, the the songwriting uh, on this album is is very. Me has always had, I think, really good songwriting as far as lyrics. For the most you know part. I mean? 
Yeah, I mean, they managed to write a song. They managed to make the rhyme of the Ancient Mariner into a song. I mean, that's something. <laughs> that's going to come up several times yeah. <laughs> in my notes. But uh, in this, it, and, and they've done dark songs. I mean, I, I, you know, Number of the Beast has um, the song, Will Be Thy Name, which is about, you know, someone on death row being taken to the gallows. And there's other songs of a dark subject matter. But this is really almost stereotypical sort of metal subject matter talking about damnation yeah. uh, one of my favorite lines is you'll be so alone your soul will bleed to death <laughs> it's uh it's their power metal album really when you think about it or their Dungeons yeah. and Dragons album which is something you see a lot more with again bands like Halloween would do a lot of fantasy influenced stuff and supernatural and that kind of thematic elements where Maiden took more of their inspiration from literature or history or uh, you know, some science fiction even on somewhere in time. But yeah. I mean, it, so it's it's definitely a real change of pace lyrically from what we have gotten from them, and it, it really kind of grabs you right from the outset. It certainly does, and, and I, you know, I think Dickinson contributing to the to the lyrics, and, and I mean, his, I don't think he's the best lyricist. I, I think Steve Harris is far better at writing lyrics, but um, they, he certainly understands what evocative means when he writes his. Yeah, and, and actually, on the, on the during the recording of this, you know, uh, things had things were were not not getting tense necessarily, but you could tell that you know there wasn't always the best relationship. Uh, uh, Bruce and uh, Harris, especially Khan uh, and and uh, uh, Adrian, had a bit of uh, almost a bit of a rivalry between the, the guitarists and and the singer, who was the real star, because Maiden was always a guitar band, you know. Yeah. But Bruce was the public face of the of the band, and a lot of and you know this time they still actually got airplay on MTV, so Bruce would always be there. And uh, and Bruce did, he talked about I've, I've read some stuff on the the background of this, and he said that you know when when Steve Harris came up with the the broad idea, he actually called uh, a, uh, Bruce Dickinson and you know asked what he thought about it, what kind of songs do you do you think we can write about this? So I think that there was a bit of a you know. Uh, like a resurgence a little bit of the uh, kind of collaborative effort that really went into this. Like you said, Bruce is not as good a lyricist, I don't think, as Harris. I'll agree with you on that. But he brings a lot to the table. And we would see that on some of his solo albums, that he would yeah. be very evocative and work with dark subject matter very well. And that's well served here. The, the other uh, contributor I really want to mention here is uh, Nico McBrain on drums. Oh yeah, he his fills are all over the place on this song oh, yeah. because there's a lot of him just. I mean, he's just going crazy. He doesn't get a break in this song. He doesn't get a break on this album, really. Even the slow <laughs> ones always pick up. Yeah, yeah, it's and, why it's why they call him the Octopus Man. Oh yeah, and uh, when, when I saw them, the. Uh, Nico is Nico's actually sitting inside an iceberg on uh, yeah. the set. <laughs> yeah, evoking the uh, the album art. Yeah, which is we should probably just tangent for like twenty seconds. Oh, and yeah. talk about it. It's there's a storyline on every Maiden cover up. You know, pretty much through Fear of the Dark. After that, I don't know how much it actually plays into it. But uh, you know, the story of Eddie the Head. It's a his zombie zombie head without a body. <laughs> Well, do you uh, do you know the the, the joke, joke that? Yep. Oh no, the, not another fucking hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But after so Eddie on on our cover is uh, he he's been in some bad shape and uh, Derek Riggs is the uh, was Iron Maiden's cover artist for years and years and years, 
And supposedly he just said, I, you know, I don't want to draw. I don't want to draw all of them. I'm just going to draw half of them. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. It works really well. And, I, and the other element I always liked is um, on the gatefold, oh, all of the yeah. Frozen and Ice is all of the previous versions of Eddie. Yeah. Uh, including we get to see the, the evil uh, satanic Eddie as a spectral figure. Yeah. With his hand up. Uh, so that's, um, you know, that, that, that's, and just another nod. And, and just one more thing that makes it a classic, a classic Maiden album. You know, there have been, Maiden's had some great albums, but they don't have Derek Riggs on the artwork. It's like, mm, you know, yeah. it could have been better. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much everything after Fear of the Dark, which I don't think was Riggs either, but, um, their, their covers have not been good for a while. Uh, the, the last, the last one of their covers that I, I really liked without reservation would probably be uh, a matter of life and death which well, was um with scott bradstreet yeah as a comic book artist i can't remember which one yeah he's he's a guy known for doing the punisher oh right right that makes and, that makes sense yeah and it, and it was eddie sitting on t- it, it, it was very evocative of a little bit of the the single art that Riggs did for two minutes to midnight yes where eddie is sitting and he is a soldier sitting at the un with the mushroom cloud but here he's him and these skeletons are riding the tank yeah and i thought that would that was pretty neat but you can't you can't go wrong i said with with derek riggs and this no. is, is no exception also interesting the storyline itself plays out here a little bit because of course eddie is holding the unborn seventh son yep. in his hand yeah and uh, the book of life makes an appearance on the gatefold as well yes it does it's all connected is it? <laughs> it is on this album anyway, because like I said, our, our story goes that you know that the seventh son is about to be born, and uh, Satan himself comes to the mother and says that uh, the child will be damned and to kill him now. But uh, the mother lets the child be born, and as Satan says, uh, a lucky escape for now, young man. But I'll see you damned in endless, endless night. night. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Which, glad I'm not that guy. No, no, no. <laughs> I, got, I, I got my own problems. I don't need that. <laughs> and speaking of problems that the sun faces that brings us into the second track which is infinite dreams This one's a, it's a little bit raga. They go a little bit raga. Do we go? Yeah, it's it's uh, very uh, very bluesy. Yeah, it's it's probably it's, overall it's probably the slowest slowest track overall on the uh, yeah the album. It, it helps that it has three time changes in it also. You know, because it starts out uh, with again at the at the beginning we get a sort of intro a little bit using more synth yeah and uh, the synthesizer on this album was actually a full-on uh, keyboard synth yeah whereas on somewhere in time it was a guitar synth and uh, so that's it, it does add a, a different sound and it's used a lot I think for setting the mood more so than yeah it's not playing leads exactly yeah it's not it's not like you'd find on a, a, a you'll pardon the term a hair metal band that might use it as <laughs> like gtr let's say using guitar synth to play your lead let's let's not say 
We're gonna do, we're gonna do GTR on uh, Mass Media Massacre, I think, instead of <laughs> have fun with that. Long play. Uh, but you know, norm, uh, but getting to the idea of the, the bluesy sound. You know, in a lot of metal bands, especially in the '80s into the '90s, that blues guitar sound was not uncommon. No. But it was pretty uncommon with Maiden, though. Oh yeah, they're not they're not a, a, a bar blues no. influence band at all. But uh, but it, it's it's interesting because after again the the very aggressive tempo of Moonchild you get a more like I said slower laid back almost tempo here and Nico does get a little bit less work to do in the beginning of the song anyway yeah. uh, lyrically not exactly new ground the, you know the ideas of dreams and nightmares is something that Maiden had tackled previously um, but what, what I like about this was Bruce's cadence and the way he delivered it it's almost it's spoken different. word yeah. There's, there's a lot of spoken pieces on this album. It's very much narration. Yeah, and and uh, it, it, it conveying a lot of information also, you know, and uh, a lot of it, it. I'd almost say something that you know, I'm I'm not a big rap guy, but one thing I've I've always hear fans of rap say, and I think I might have said this back on the uh, the episode about uh, Sergeant Pepper was that a good rapper can convey a lot of imagery through just their words. And I think Bruce does that really well here. The middle section goes, Even though it's reached new heights, I rather like the restless night. And it's just that back and forth, almost like a march a little bit on the tempo. But he just did his descriptions of the different dreams and what it's making him think about. It's very, it's very, it brings an images to mind very easily, I think. Oh yeah, I totally agree. It's a it's sing-songy, but not in like a nursery rhyme type way, but just sort of a this is kind of creepy, but it's also kind of relaxing at the same yeah. time. Well, it, it's it, it's like being in a dream. It's very fluid. It moves, like I said, through several different time uh, you know, time tempos throughout the throughout the song, and. The, uh, the that middle the middle section with the the bridge which has one of my favorite riffs on the album, which is that is that does that sound like lost for words a little bit? Yeah. yeah, but I, but I love Lost for Words, so I can't really complain about that. <laughs> no. uh, but uh, no, it's like I said, it's it's an odd song in so far, like I said, because it's it's uh, I don't know, it's more of a song I think you'd expect to find in the middle of an album, except it has to be here to tell the story. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, it's not a uh, second second track song. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the story again. As the title suggests, it's the, the sun being haunted by dreams and visions and what they mean, what does infinity mean, and all this kind uh, of heady meta, metaphysical yeah. stuff. A little bit. Some of the uh, the commentary that I was reading is that it's it's the father of the seventh sun. Mm. So it's uh, I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, let me pull up the notes that I got. Uh, the seventh son's father, himself a seventh son, has visions he does not understand and that torture him. So, I don't know. Either way, it, it yeah. works either way. <laughs> I mean, the theme still works, being, you know, the uh, the nightmarish visions that don't make sense that happen over and over and over. Uh, one nightmare ends, another fertile, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
Anything you used to you know, fit the word fertile in there, that's always... They're British. <laughs> what did uh, Andrew Lewin say once? None more British. So. <laughs> it's none more black. It's sort of a pastel black. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Talking about a pastel black, I have to ask you a question, Hero. Sure. Can I play with madness? <laughs> Um, oh my god, we're off and running on this one, aren't we? Oh my god, this is so definitely the single. <laughs> Can you tell? They did a I video. Mean, they did a video with Graham Chapman. How could it be the single? And an animated Eddie. Yes. I, love that video. I mean, Maiden is known for their sing-alongs. This may be the most sing-alongy of all sing-along Maiden songs. I mean... <laughs> It's, it's, I mean, and again, for an album with such dark subject matter, this stands out like a sore thumb, but it's not, not in a bad way. It's still really, really good. It just, it just, it just runs. You can't, it can, if you, like, if you're not a metal fan and you took the vocals out of this and you played it for somebody, they'd be, they'd be tapping their toes. Oh, well, yeah. It's just, it's catchy. Even the, uh, you know, the, I mean, the tempo is radio friendly. The guitars are radio friendly. It's very, um, you know, normally it's uh, a little more involved on the guitar harmonies, but these are very straightforward. Yeah. You know, uh, radio-friendly metal for for 1988. If such, <laughs> I mean, in 1988, that was an actual thing. You know. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, but uh, and 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 lot, lots of good lots of good drum work from from Nico again. Lots of good fills in there. Uh, but the 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 other thing I was I was listening to the album today at lunch and the. Uh, that struck me and I was really thinking about it and taking some notes is that the the lyrics are very you know, much more what you'd expect from Bruce on some of the earlier uh, earlier albums kind of like the clean yeah. um, you know kind of high range vocals but there's a little bit of edge to it there's the, the line that always you want to know the truth son I'll you know? tell you the truth yeah <laughs> that, it, it, that little bit of edge that we had gotten earlier on this album kind of bleeds through and it uh, it, it picks up nicely Oh, but this this is so much fun. This song is amazing live, also. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I when I saw them, I've, I've seen Maiden twice, and they played it both times. Once was at the Hammerstein Ballroom for the um, the Ed Hunter tour. Oh, Christ. <laughs> and uh, that was... Well, think about the Ed Hunter tour was that was before uh, Brave New World came out. Yeah. But that was after Bruce and Adrian had come back, so that was their first tour as a six-man band. Yeah. And uh, and they played this and the Hammerstein Ballroom seats I think it seats about three thousand and they must they, I mean they were crammed in there like sardines and uh, my father went with me because I was uh, I was either I think it was seventeen and and the Hammerstein Ballrooms of course in Manhattan my dad didn't want me going down to Manhattan by myself and I was gonna go with my brother and uh, his, his girlfriend at the time who's now his wife. And, uh, and a friend of ours who's a metalhead, but they had gotten tickets the same day to go see Jerry Seinfeld up in Albany. Oh, Jesus. Don't. No. Oh. Am I going to be disappointed with the end of this story? No. Oh, no. So my dad, 
who would look more at place in a, more in place in a Moody Blues concert than an <laughs> Iron Maiden concert, went with me to the Hammerstein Ballroom, and and you know, a dad dad really enjoyed himself. He had a lot of fun because I had him, I let him listen to some albums to get you know to understand the music, and he really appreciated their. They, you know, my, I mean, my dad was you know that's who introduced me to Pink Floyd and introduced me to. Uh, a lot of uh, you know rock acts from kind of before my time, and yeah. uh, so dad dad was cool with that. Although it was really funny as we're going in, everybody everybody they're patting everybody down, right? Yeah. And I go in, the guy pats me down, and the the, the bouncer takes one look at my dad. Goes, "You're okay, sir. You can come on in." <laughs> <laughs> I guess age and respectability have their advantages. And uh, and I did have to uh, you know, uh, and dad did have a great one. Where as we're as we're getting closer and closer. You see more and more maiden shirts on the street, of course. Yeah. And um, and as we're getting up, there's a giant Union flag flying. Nice. Uh, on uh, Hammerstein Ballroom, Dad turns to me and goes, "This is a British band." <laughs> I said, "Yes, yes, they are." He's like, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize." <laughs> <laughs> so I will never forget going to see Iron Maiden with my dad. But uh, in any event. <laughs> Both times that I've seen Maiden Live, they played this song, and when you get an army of screaming, uh, you know, metalheads yelling, "Can I play with madness?" It's it's yeah. it's uncanny. That's the only word to describe. Yeah. The first time I saw them was in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. unfortunately, and uh, my first Maiden experience was pretty good. Um, I was. <laughs> we would, me and my buddy would tailgate, and it was supposed to be his birthday present. So I said I wasn't going to drink, and you know he could have a good time. But I got there, and, and we were got next packed next to these guys with the the tailgate down, and they were just cranking maiden, and they giving me a bottle of Jack Daniels. And my buddy saw me take a nice long pull on that bottle of JD, and he said, "All right, I'm not driving tonight now because I already know where this is headed." Uh, but it, you know, it worked out pretty good. I, I made out with a bisexual chick and her friend, um, hey. female. So it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, that was fun, and it was pouring rain. Pouring rain, gotta love it. Oh yeah. Uh, but now this, but this is, uh, like I said, this is kind of the outlier song as far as tone and tempo and uh, the construction of the song. But it's just classic Iron Maiden. And uh, uh, there's a, like I said, this was obviously, like we said, the first single. It was a fairly big hit, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And um, video got a lot of airplay. Yeah, you got. And uh, what what's funny is that this song apparently started out as a ballad, and then <laughs> then became this. So <laughs> I think it worked out for the best. Yeah, that, yeah. Maiden ballads are not very good. As, as a general they rule, no, they, <laughs> they do better with other stuff. But uh, we. Uh, and and just just to show again that Maiden will always keep you guessing. Then the next track, also the next single, and about 180 degrees removed from "Can I Play with Madness," is the evil that men do.
which is one of my top five Maiden songs of all time. Oh yeah, there's there's so much to like in this song. The the, the guitar work, the the the, uh, the the percussion work, the lyrics. Oh yeah, all of it just really comes together. Um, and it's it, it, like I said, immediately a complete opposite of "Can I Play with Madness." increased the guitar harmonies are much more complex right out of the bat yeah bruce's voice is back to the growl the subject matter is is very very dark in this song it's a sex song (laughs) yeah but it's but it's not it's not a sex song like motley Crue would write it's a you (laughs) know it's a sex song where bad stuff happens because of it oh it's like an 80s horror movie okay uh, yeah, I mean, love is a razor, and I walk the line on that silver blade. Can you get any more evocative than that? Yeah. I don't think you can. Slept in the dust with his daughter, her eyes red with the slaughter of innocence. That's just yeah. Deep. I mean, that it's deep. It is. It is, especially you know, again, considering that in the story, the idea is here. Now, we didn't mention this on the last one. The story of Can I Play with Madness is uh, my understanding. It's the seventh son going to see a seer. And saying, what do these visions mean? But he looks in the crystal ball, and there, there's no visions there at all. The seer's a fake. Yeah. And so he doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't help him at all. And so in this song is when I think it, the idea is that he discovers, you know, human sin. Because he <laughs> gives in to lust with the, the daughter of the farmer. And the... Uh, oh, the old farmer's daughter. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey. Those Midwest farmer's daughters, you know, they make me feel all right. Thank you. <laughs> Always got to bring it back to the Beach Boys. I don't love the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys, and uh, by extension, of you to a kill. Um, <laughs> the the bridge of this song, the lyrical bridge, is one of my absolute favorite bits of any Maiden song, where it's just living on a razor's edge, balancing on a ledge, yeah. over and over. I and I, normally I'm not big on just repeated to, uh, couplets like that. Yeah. But the way that he, the emotion that Bruce gives to his, his performance of that on the album is, is really, it really speaks to me. I mean, I've, I think we've all had been in points in our lives, I know I have, where I felt like I was, in fact, living on that razor's edge. Uh, yeah. You know? And, and I mean, I, uh, not too long ago, I had a very, you know, I'm not going to get into it, but I had something going on in my life that I felt like I was living, you know, balancing on the ledge and that that was how i felt so hearing it now it's 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 emotive to me it reminds me of those things and the emotion that bruce is able to create just with his voice and with the lyrics it's really something and it's uh yeah this is uh uh, this song is just uh, it's hard to explain this is another one that's an amazing line oh yeah and it's got the the patented steve harris gallop on this one and i'm a I'm a big mock for when he does that three-fingered galloping bass on the songs. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Harris doesn't... I mean, being a bassist, you don't get a lot of attention in Maiden because they're known <laughs> as a guitar band, clearly, especially now when they have three of them. Yeah. But, you know, his bass lines always hold everything together, and the oh, gallop... Yeah. 
I, I call it the shimmy shake sometimes also. The shimmy shake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a classic solo in the middle from Adrian. Oh yeah, you know, just uh, and uh, and and again, despite the subject matter, another sing along. This is one that you'll get the whole crowd screaming both parts to the living on a razor's edge yeah. part, and then the evil that men do lives on and on. You know. Yeah, this is this is about in the in the show where I got horse <laughs> the last time I saw them. Oh yeah, they, well they, yeah, they they did play a lot when we uh, on the show uh, a couple of years ago. They played a lot of Seventh Son. Obviously, they didn't yeah. quite play the whole album, but uh, no, it would have been nice though. Yeah, that, some of those they just don't play. I mean, I, I I don't think they've played only the good Die Young since like 1988. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, they do have a track record for not playing stuff that fans want to hear. <laughs> Flight of Icarus. <laughs> well, yeah, Flight of Icarus is is crazy. Although I will say, um, when I saw them uh, on that tour, on that tour, I actually saw the first show because they started in Charlotte. Mm. And uh, so nobody really knew what the set list was going to be. You know, because they hadn't they hadn't leaked it or anything. Yeah. And so you go. Uh, the show opens with uh, Moonchild, and then can play with Madness, appropriate for this album. Well, then uh, then it gets real quiet, and then and uh, this is a shout out again to Andrew Leyland. You hear, we want information. Oh yeah. Oh my God, the place went bananas because they hadn't played The Prisoner in something like twenty five years. Oh no. <laughs> it's like, how do you not play that one? And uh, all I all I know is we're all is uh, my friend Joe is with me. We just look at each other like what the and the whole place is first for like a, a second like stunned silence, <laughs> and then we're all screaming, "I am not a number! I am a free of man!" Course. Oh yeah, the irony of us all yelling this in unison lost <laughs> in the passion of the moment. <laughs> uh, well, it was it was the, it was the royal eye, the royal eye. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the royal we. Whatever works, man. Whatever. They're British. It could be royal. It's a... Sure. But yeah, but this one is, uh, like I said, the clear a good choice for the second single. I think it's much more evocative what the album really is about. Yeah. But, I mean, it was, uh, again, this is also giving you a, a glimpse back into the 80s, the way the, the record industry worked. Can I Play With Madness was released in March. Evil That Men Do, August. <laughs> I mean, can, I mean, nowadays albums don't stay on the charts for uh, for no. six months, let alone the singles. Yeah, well, everything's a single now. There is no albums. No are, album. Albums are dead. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that that I that you know we talked about doing this one is that as an album, this is designed as an album first. Whereas you know, Maiden put together albums it's like, okay, we wrote eight songs. That's an album, you know. Yeah. And and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a that's what metal bands do, you know. So <laughs> it should but, be. Uh, it should be right. And it wouldn't be a Maiden album if we didn't have an epic-length uh, song of epic epicness. <laughs> oh, totally epicness. And uh, that on this album is the title track, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Thank you. 
have to have. You have to have some choir like chanting <laughs> to stop and this you got thing more, And more synth on the intro. You know, oh, there's yeah. been they've they've done that a lot on this album. They've had an intro to the song and then they the you know Nico hits a couple of beats and then we go off into the song proper, you know, and Seven Sun is no different. Uh, and and this one we had, you had mentioned this earlier and, and I think this song also really pulls it out between the synth and kind of the chanting oh, yeah. uh, vocals again more in line what I'd expect from like Blind Guardian than, yeah. than Iron Maiden uh, and clearly I think that this song and a, a few others were an influence on those later kind of fantasy fantasy metal bands or power metal bands however you want to call it and I, I don't think that as a, as a negative I, I just think that the idea of using as much orchestration as you can oh yeah you know to, to create your uh, your achieved or your desired effect and and maiden they, they did that but they did it a lot with guitar here they, they're using a lot of different things uh, yeah yeah it's uh yeah. It, it's one of those things where it's like now you know that they have they have three guitars now it's like oh man this kind of stuff is just is made for those kind of harmonies and everything you know it's crazy but this is this is where i'm going to bring up rhyme of the age of mariner for the first time it's it's the epic epic song with the you know the the, the slow down piece in the middle with the narration yep you know and it, and it has a similar not quite as good as rhyme of the age of mariner's kick in to when you know the you know you get towards the end right. but uh it's it a lot of time changes on this one too i mean it's yeah. like how do you even keep it straight i couldn't even if i was you know a guitarist there's no way i'd be able to play this it's ridiculous yeah. it's uh you know this one doesn't have the greatest chorus you know just the seventh son i'm a seventh son over and over and over again yeah. but it's um you know it does kind of <laughs> lets you know the song title that's for sure yeah uh, but the you know when he's doing that that bit of the chorus the the guitars are you know are, are mirroring him mm-hmm. you know they're harmonizing with him so i mean it kind of makes up with the lack of uh writing there yeah part of it is just it's too many words you know to really make a good chorus out of that rhyme of the ancient mariner is you know they only say that once in the song there's no chorus per se no. in rhyme of the ancient mariner. And, they, and they do it right at the front yep. <laughs> you're the rhyme of the ancient mariner God, I really wish I could have had that. I really wish I'd gotten into Maiden in high school for when I read Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Yeah. Because that would have made life easier. But that, that's, that's it a. Made <laughs> life easier for me in college when I, <laughs> I used it as the basis for a, a paper talking about, <laughs> talking about the poem and the, and the song. A shout out to Tom Panneries. He teaches English, so. What up, Tom? <laughs> uh, the, the other part that I think there's a real good harmony between the guitars and, the, and Bruce's vocals is when he does a. Oh! Parts in the uh, in the in, in the verses, yeah. where you know he does that, and then and then you see Adrian kind of just takes off from that. Oh, note it just it's rips! Up. It's just yeah. like that's that's my note. Where's it? actually? It's yeah, uh, ripping solo. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and it's and from the time you get to the, the end of that, where it's getting the little yeah, and. It's like from that point until the end, it's just like nonstop. Like it's yeah. just it's changing, it's changing time signatures. It's just it's frantic until the yeah. end. And what and 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 probably again, I, I had mentioned Infinite Dreams has one of my favorite riffs. This song has pop, the other one. Yeah. Oh man, that's just. I mean, that's. I mean, it's it's so it it seems so straightforward, but it's so perfect. 
and yeah. it's so it's, oh man it's it's just i mean you can't help but uh but bang the bang your head that one absolutely and, the, and you know you you talk about the the quiet parts being kind of like rhyme of the ancient mariner i have the same note what's interesting there is we get the acoustic guitar yes and uh and i'm not sure who plays the acoustic guitar on that i don't know if it's dave or adrian it could, uh, it could even be steve it could be Steve, yeah, because it could be. Uh, I mean, he. I mean, he's. He's. I, mean, he can, I think Steve. He's a bassist, but I think he can also play a, a regular guitar as well. Yeah. Uh, but then, and then, but uh, the the acoustic guitar, and then just the simple snare from. Yep. From Nico, and it's yep. so riding quiet. high, riding the snare. Yeah, that's what I. That's my other note. Just riding it the whole time. Yeah, and then they 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 you know put in that synth and the choral. Uh, vocals you know it's more mood more uh emotive and evocative mood and uh it's just and from what i understand again the the story here is that this is the brothers the six brothers of the seventh son you know have have convened basically to discuss his fate and whether he will fall to good or evil because both sides are vying for his his services so to speak yes and so it's i mean it's um you know this would be kind of I don't want to say become cliche because Maiden would do it pretty much all the time have at least one truly epic length song yeah and I mean starting with uh, I mean even uh, um, Number of the Beast has uh, Hallowed, Hallowed Be Thy, Thy Name, name. Yeah. and then you know you got Hallowed Be Thy Name and then um, what was it To Tame a Land yeah and yep. uh, then um, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and then um, Alexander the, the Great. Oh, I freaking love that song because Alexander the Great is one of my favorite characters from history. Yeah. He died of fever in Babylon. I mean, how can you? How can you? How much not did they like take off to you when you got your uh, vasectomy, buddy? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, hey, I told I told my coworker today I can't sing, but I can fake it really well sometimes. I, if, <laughs> if I if I was home alone right now. There would be there would be some epic epic screaming going on. spoken word stuff again it's cliche now in a metal song to have somebody do spoken word but this was this was new and daring stuff 1988 for iron maiden especially yeah <laughs> that didn't really break out of that uh the leather and studs milieu until until uh somewhere in time really yeah and even then you know i mean somewhere in time was uh i mean adding the synth was almost in that case a, a nod to the futuristic aspect of yeah that album. but here it's, it's all used for mood and what's funny is, uh, you know, um, uh, Steve Harris is credited with, and, and Adrian Smith are both credited with playing synth. But according to uh, according to Steve Harris, pretty much anyone who's in the studio who had a free hand would would synth the keys. <laughs> nice. <laughs> sometimes the producer was doing it. Sometimes the gopher was doing. It. <laughs> there you go. 
Yeah, you can. So right, right smack dab in the middle, we get the uh, the big epic song. This on the on an LP, this would be the first track on the second side, yep. and that's what you expect. Uh, and, and at this point, the, the mood of the album has, you know, we've almost forgotten a little bit about uh, Can I Play With Madness for as far as an upbeat kind of mood. Yeah. We're, we're just kind of hardcore into the, the dark and very metal <laughs> sound here. Yeah, it's, it, and it's pretty, it's pretty dark for the most part here on, you, you know, even though the songs aren't necessarily musically dark. Yeah. Um, so I guess Thematically, should, definitely. Yeah. Um, so we should probably go on to... Uh, the next track, which is The Prophecy. Um, is very quiet. <laughs> yeah, it is. It little quiet my... harmony guitar. You know, and here's my note: it's it's almost like a waltz. A little bit, because I, I had a waltz or a march. You know, because it's dun 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 dun. dun, dun, dun you know, it's just yeah. very. It's know, the Pirates of the Caribbean music. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a waltz. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very deliberate. You know, it's. It's like in wrestling when you get a big, fat, slow guy. He's not slow. He's methodical. You know? <laughs> Deliberate. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's got it's got elements of, of uh, you know uh, a, a classical dance song or just classical music in general on this one. Yeah, and the uh, and the guitar work very clean. Yes. And and uh, the solos are, are energetic, but very quickly come back down to yeah. that more deliberate pace once again. Yeah, they're not over long on this one either. It's uh, this one's this one's uh, trying to tell a lot more of the story, you know. Yeah, and, and a lot more, a lot more kind of very spoken word cadence from Bruce as well. Yeah, this is this is when the the seventh son has the the vision of what's going to happen to everybody, and um, yeah, no one's going to believe him. Believes him, and, and after the the disaster comes, they all blame him for bringing a curse upon the village and it's like you people are freaking morons yep Don't shoot the messenger, man. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> you can't own property, man. It's God's property, man. I can, because I'm not a penniless hippie. 
Okay, we alienated half the listeners. <laughs> Good night, everybody. I'm penniless, uh, but I'm not a hippie. Um, <laughs> you know what? The other thing that sprung to mind was... Um, you, have you seen the Rankin Bass uh, adaptations of uh, the Tolkien stuff? Yes, I have. And you know how they have the Frodo of the Night. You know they get the, the <laughs> you know the the Glenn Yarbrough is the is the bard, the minstrel. Yep. Um, I could picture that character playing like the intro and outro on this song. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The the outro especially is really very subtle. We get more acoustic guitar. And it just slows down and slows down and slows and gets quieter and quieter. It's again, this this is something that uh, go if you go listen to, um, uh, you know, uh, what is it, Nightfall on Middle Earth by yep. by Blind Guardian. That's like their bread and butter right there. Oh yeah, the guitar to to evoke the idea of a bard, like like you were just saying, and and it sits here as well. I think because again, this is kind of set in a vaguely medieval setting. You know, it's 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 European. It's all kind of vague to me. I'm a European. European. Everyone's European. Well, you know, it's the old joke. Uh, you know, what nationality are you when you really got to go to the bathroom? Yeah. Russian. <laughs> nice. And one. what nationality are you when you're in the bathroom? European. <sighs> and when you're done, finish. But anyway. <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> that, that, reminds, that reminds me of a good one. We're going to take a quick joke break here. What do you call a guy with no arms and no legs hanging on your wall? Art. Oh. What do you call a guy with no arms and no legs in front of your front door? What's that? Matt. Matt. <laughs> what do you call a guy with no arms and no legs in the ocean? Bob. No. Fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that we just earned that explicit tag. God love it. I I'm glad we did. Of course. Of course. <laughs> We're talking about metal. You gotta drop some F bombs. Come on. Oh yeah. And and here, I mean this album or in this song, we get some back and forth. You, you said earlier about Bruce portraying characters, and here he goes back and forth between the sun and yeah. Satan, talking about damnation and hell. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Now Lucifer laughs. Hello awaits. <laughs> I had that. Times in my hand. So, um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's very sad. It's a sad song, man. It is. <laughs> it's it, but it's beautiful at the same time. Yeah, it it really. I mean, it is. It's this. This was a song for a long time. I I didn't think really very much of, but as I've as I've listened to the album over the years, uh, and and the first time I I heard Seven Son of a Seven Son was actually spring break when I was a freshman in college, because uh, <laughs> I didn't go anywhere. And so I was stuck on campus by myself. It was like being in a horror movie. I didn't see another living person for like six days. That, but that's that good, meant, though. I mean, you can sit in your underwear and do what you want. I I, um, uh, I I actually did. For whatever reason, that week TNT was showing all the Rocky movies. Awesome. And so I did at one point run up and down the the, the, the hall in, in my dorm room screaming, yeah. Gonna fly now! Like, you, lo- you lost me with the cardio, man. I, I don't <laughs> I did. I didn't run very fast, <laughs> but uh, but no. But the the upside of this was that the internet connection at school was freaking fantastic. So it's like let's download as much as much uh, Iron Maiden as I can. Nice. <laughs> Nothing wrong. But uh, but but this is a song that has grown on me over the years, and and I'm, the the intro and outro are, are just really they're very subtle and they're very effective, and I really like them, and I, I like the uh, the dueling vocals from one guy. You know, 
Yes. <laughs> but it just a, a very, it's a very nicely put together little song, you know. It's uh, but as I say, it's not a lot musically. It's a lot lyrically. There's a yes. lot of information conveyed. Yes. And that brings us directly into the next song, which is the clairvoyant. son now has you know as much mastery of his powers as he's gonna have but at what price yeah um, I, I love the beginning of this song where we get um, we get the bass first yeah and then Nick go on the drums and, and then that's what really reminds me of Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner yeah with the bass line there yeah yeah well that, but I, I just like the progression one it's, it's almost like you know when you go to a show and uh, they'll introduce each member of the band, and they'll add their what yeah. their instrument to what they're playing. So here, it's, like I said, it starts with the bass, and then the drum, and then one guitar, and then the next, and then it just goes off, you know? Yeah. But it gives everybody a little moment to shine, and it builds up, uh, almost as if suggesting that maybe the Seventh Son, like I say, his power has built and built and built until it's reached this, this level that he can see everything, you yeah. know? And the lyrics in this one are um, are among my absolute favorite. My favorite line on the album is in this song, see your truth, could see your lies, but for all his power, couldn't foresee his own demise. Yeah. I mean, and that's just, oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, it is pretty awesome. There's a time to live and a time to die. There's a time to live and a time to die. It's like, it speaks to me, man. Yeah, as soon as you're born, you're dying. You're born again. Yeah, it's uh, but yeah, again, lyrically, that's the the choruses are. I said they're good. They're not super. They're not the most uh, you know wordy, but they're <laughs> they're really good. Another one that gets you, you, you. I challenge anyone to listen to this in their car or at home alone or something like that, and not be screaming along with it. Yeah, oh yeah. You can't do it. Especially considering, you know, because uh, you know, Bruce runs through the chorus one time, and then the tempo picks up just a touch, and he runs through it again, and it's like, oh yeah, you can't help. <laughs> yeah, if you don't like the song, then fuck you. <laughs> this, no. this, this one also has one of the absolute best, uh, one of my favorite pieces of Maiden art as a single. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it's like I'm not even sure how the hell to describe it. It's like. A three-headed Eddie, where he's sharing his heads, and he's got a flaming eye above him. And 
It's got you see the the lightning uh, or I don't know cosmic awareness of like a Jim yeah. Starlin thing in, in his left eye. Yeah. Oh, it's craziness. <laughs> I, it's the can I play with madness single eyes. A little more evocative though, with the fist going right through. Oh yeah. And yeah, the fist head. going through it. And the uh, that 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 one's that one's just funny. I like that one a lot. That the, the that that to me is one of the funny pieces of, of maiden art right up there with um, uh, what is it women in uniform <laughs> with Margaret Thatcher with a yes. uh, machine gun <laughs> waiting to waiting to pop Eddie as he comes around the corner yeah <laughs> oh, man. metal bands now I mean they, they metal metal heavy metal music still has good art but nothing like it was back then no no it was all painted painterly stuff back then now it's all mostly digital painting and stuff, which is I mean it works but it's not the same yeah, it doesn't have a, that. Doesn't have that grit. Yeah, it doesn't have the. You know, it's overused, but it doesn't have the grindhouse feel to it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I, I really like the clairvoyant. This is one that I'll just. Uh, everything just gels on this song. The the music, the the uh, you know, the chorus is uh, you know the, the left right and dun to dun dun dun. You know, it all just comes together really well. This is one that. This is an album I tend to listen to all at once. Just throw yes. it in and it start to finish. This is one I will grab and just play. You know, oh yeah, it is. There's not a track on this that I when it when it comes up on shuffle on my iPod that I skip. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, this, there, there's no no filler on this album. Maiden does do some filler, but oh, as yeah. we were discussing, uh, the Duelist comes to mind immediately. Uh, yeah. But as we were discussing before we before we were on the air, Maiden's filler is better than most bands' singles. So <laughs> when you have that much talent, you just you just crapping it out. It's just, oh yeah, it's just coming out. What's it? Quest for Fire. That's the other. That ooh ooh <laughs> ooh. And it's time when dinosaurs roam the earth. Oh god. <laughs> I want to do like a caveman movie with that as on the soundtrack. That's. <laughs> I, I think they did. <laughs> they did. They watched Quest for Fire. Oh, yeah, but I'm saying that the song "Quest for Fire" is not in the movie "Quest for Fire," though. That's <laughs> if I knew how to edit, I would get a clip and put that song over it. I would totally do it. Well, that's like you know uh, we've mentioned them a bunch. I guess we'll have to do a Blind Guardian album at some point. You know, oh, they were originally approached to do the soundtrack for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. What? Yeah, seriously. What? The, uh, yeah, Jackson and company wanted them because he knew that they played that um, you know that oh. that that kind of folk metal, you know, fantasy metal, whatever you want to call it. And as I, as much as I really do like the soundtrack to the, the Lord of the Rings films, oh I would have been really interested in hearing that because they're obviously huge Tolkien fans. Oh my God. I'm like, my mind is spinning right now. I did not know that. Cause yeah, well, apparently they were, awesome. what were they recording? It, it was uh, a night at the opera, I think was their big album that they did right around that time. And so they, they couldn't, they couldn't take that one because they already had the, they had their own commitment. Yeah, but, but it worked out in the end, you know, and uh, but you know, uh, so but it, for those of you that may not know, Blind Guardian, go search out the song "Lord of the Rings" by Blind Guardian. That'll pretty much tell you everything you need to know. And yeah, <laughs> and search out "Twilight in Middle Earth." Yeah, but "Nightfall in Middle Earth." Sorry, "Nightfall in Middle Earth" and uh, the Bard song, Part One and Two. Yeah, that's um, just just go pretty much go look at all this stuff. It's pretty yeah. And then play some fin troll. Get some tr- some troll metal to balance out the. Uh, oh, the if you're gonna metal. if you're gonna do that, then you have to bring in some Alestorm so you can get Alestorm, your, pirate, yeah. your pirate metal. It's <laughs> <sighs> curse, but anyway, <laughs> that's a real band, by the way. Yes, you can. It, it, that that's a you know, that's a game to play when you're talking band names like like we all did in high school. You know, band name, band name, band name, band name. Just make just throw some make some up and throw them in there. 
I used to do it all the time. It's like, yeah, I've, I've been really digging Melted Butter. They're a good band. It's like, oh, yeah, I've heard some of their stuff. They're they're like a '70s groove band, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they do kind of like that like that drone metal sound, you know, like a Dimebag Daryl kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, all right, we're going we're off. Metalheads. That doesn't mean we're not dicks. <laughs> no, that's that's true. Although to be fair, I do find that metalheads are probably uh, you know because we're used to being outcasts and weirdos. That for yourself, you, man. <laughs> well, I, no, I, I, I'm fucking with you. Yeah, I I always found in my experience that metalheads tend to get along because we're always used to being, like I said, the outcasts and the weirdos. Until you get that guy that likes winger or something. Hey, like, hey, 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 hey. Would have been better. Would have been better if I said warrant. Oh, I fucking love warrant. I know. <laughs> hey, man, I. I uh, I'm not going to lie. I, I did, in fact, uh, play monster ballads in high school and in college with uh, with the ladies. So, well, that's the only reason. That, that's the only thing those are any good for. I'm not a big fan of the the, the token ballad on most of the the eighth rocker <laughs> albums. <laughs> Heaven is it too far away? Oh God. Hey, I, I I I also slipped Jelly Roll in there by Blue Murder. That's a great song though. And that friggin' amazing video too. I haven't seen the video in forever. I don't even remember it. The dude got the biggest hair I've ever seen. It's awesome. All right, I'm going to have to check that out after, after we're done. But, but before we get on to Blue Murder... <laughs> Which will not be covered on Longplay. Which will not be covered on Longplay. We'll do a GTR Blue Murder double show. Oh, Christ. It's a super band super show on Super Saturday. Which uh. leads us directly into Only the Good Die Young. The last, the, the last track on the album. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, it, it flies by. I mean, the album's only about, what, 48 minutes? Not minutes? even. Yeah, like 44, 44.06, I believe. And it just flies through it, you know. And what's interesting here is on the Clairvoyant, we had that build-up and build-up and build-up here. Right off the bat, everybody's playing in unison. Yeah. And I, 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 it, it's really great because it's the... It's almost, uh, I guess it's thematically, it makes me think that if the Clairvoyant was the building up of the son's power and the only the good die young when he's decided that he's going to eliminate himself from this game and take himself off the table it's almost as if it's decisive everything is working together everything is this is a decision there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever everything is on board and uh, and it's 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 clearly the finale you know we, we, this is what we've been building up to and it's just this uh you know, emotional and powerful. This uh, this one's got one of my favorite lines on the album. Measure your coffin, does it measure up to your lust? It's like yeah. that's oh, how do you that's, how do you come up with that? Bruce Just, lays it all out lyrically in this song. Oh yeah, I mean there there's a couple of lines in here that probably raise some eyebrows if they released it nowadays.
even in your bed will rake you. Rake you. Bed at night. Yeah. That, and if I cancel tomorrow, the undead will thank me today. Yeah. Uh, again, listening to the album for this show and thinking about all of the stuff that, that kind of blew up online after the death of Robin Williams regarding um, you know, suicide and mental health and you know depression. A lyric like that, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm just spitballing. I strongly suspect if a band came in with a lyric like that today, they'd be called the carpet for glamorizing suicide, which is what this song really does in a lot of ways. Well, hey, if, if BOC didn't get raked over the coals, did they? But, you know, don't feel the Reaper. Yeah. <laughs> but again, you know, that was uh, a bit what they nowadays, you know? <sighs> which is, you know, that's, uh, I mean, it's, I think that's more... Uh, more reflection on where we are as a society and how we treat our entertainment more so than anything musically for either BOC or Iron Maiden, both good bands, uh, for diff- you know, different levels of the metal scale, I think. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but this, so like I said, lyrically, this song kind of just, like I said, leaves it all, all on the field, so to speak, and uh, as the son, like I said, it's just to take himself out of the equation, but it's very, uh, it's. You know, it's not exactly closing the loop, though, because it, I mean, it implies that there is going to be another seventh son. It's an endless cycle. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I mean, you get you get that even more when when Bruce sings the the intro poem from uh, Moonchild. He chuckles right before he finishes the last line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the, the yeah, where in the original in the intro he says. Uh, uh, he goes seven bloody paths to hell and your trip begins. Here he goes seven bloody paths to hell and he laughs. Yeah. So there, it's, it's the endless cycle of damnation and rebirth and damnation and rebirth. And uh, the it's as I said so as a it, in you know, sense from a thematic standpoint, you know what uh, made me think of this was um, the butterfly effect. I don't know if you've seen. Uh, are you familiar with the, uh, the butterfly yeah. effect? Uh, uh, <laughs> 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 I find it you, you, Doctor Sattler, are familiar with attraction. <laughs> and uh, who could have predicted that uh, that Doctor Sattler would uh, jump out of the vehicle as well? And I'd be uh, here. I am that, 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 talking to myself. <laughs> I want to make a movie with Jeff Goldblum and Christopher Walken. Oh, where they just they just kind of stammer at each other for for forty five minutes, and uh, somebody on the forum suggested they could be, they could be speech therapists. Oh and god, client is, is Shatner. Oh my god, why is this? <laughs> Write this down. We're going to Kickstarter this. Oh my god. <laughs> After we do zombies versus grandmas, yeah. <laughs> I think that has exploitation grindhouse written all over it. Oh my god, we got to get that at South by Southwest. We do another fake grindhouse trailer contest. <laughs> Yes. Who has a grandma? Uh, can we can we use them? Use them. <laughs> We've got a grandma. <laughs> oh, uh, the, the, this song just it just throws everything out there. We get uh, more more bass. We get more acoustic guitar. We get uh, everything. Just that the guitars are just screaming their defiance by the end of it. Yeah. And then the ending is almost like a jam, almost. Yeah. But before we, there's that weird staccato riffing part. Like, and I can't tell if it's Harris on a on the bass or if it's uh, Dave or, or Adrian doing something. But it's like this, and I can't figure it out. It has to has to be the bass, I guess. I I really think that is the that is the bass, but it's it's it really and again it's that it's just a weird sound, you know. It's it's off putting almost the first time you hear it because it sounds almost like the like the album is skipping a little bit. Yeah, it's so it's not it's just not in line with the rest of what's going on behind it. 
but everybody's kind of playing their own thing at that point too. And it, uh, you know, it, it makes me think of kind of the, the turmoil, the mental anguish that this poor guy has gone through now in his final moments, it's all kind of erupting back out again. It's, uh, but it, and I said it, and it all comes full circle, like you said. So uh, it's just, it as, even with the outlier of, of the evil that, or not the evil that men do, of uh, Can I Play With Madness from a just a sonic standpoint, everything, the dark mood of this album just holds and holds and holds right through to the end. And there's, there's no happy ending. You know, it's a movie from, it's like a movie in the 70s, you yeah. know? And uh, it, it just comes to it to an end, but there's the promise of even worse stuff to happen in the future. Ah, that's what metal's good at. Yeah, it's it's really a tour force album, I think. I mean, it just overall, start to finish. Yeah, it and it just hangs together so well, and not having any uh, filler or you know songs that are just you know really just oddball. Sometimes you get a Maiden song where it's like, well, that's that's an interesting song. <coughs> wasting love. <laughs> wasting love. Uh, what was that? Wasting love. Wasting love. Uh, um. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking, afraid to shoot strangers because I like oh, afraid yeah. to shoot strangers, but it's kind of an odd song where it is in the album and all that. Uh, but um, so yeah, just this this is just great. I know that you know Maiden is a band that um, I think a lot of people kind of just kind of lump in with you know all the other '80s metal acts, you know the the more poppier acts and the uh, you know more commercial sounds, but and and say well these were the bands that you know the 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 big four thrash metal bands kind of killed. And that's really that's not accurate, you know. No. I mean, it, it, Maiden's had a, a devout following for and a they, long time, and they've never really stopped. In fact, the length of time that it's been since their last album, since uh, Final Frontier, is the longest they've ever gone without releasing. Four years, really? Yeah, yeah, because I think the longest before that was three years. Okay. But uh, but and and I haven't even heard. I mean, they they did what Flight Six Six Six. Yeah, see, they, live albums they, don't count to me. Yeah, live albums don't count. That, that, that's about the only thing we've seen from them. Well, see, that's got, the that's their problem. That's the problem I have with them now is, all right, new greatest hits album, new live album, tour for the live, you know, do another tour, and then we'll finally get back in the studio. It's yeah. it's like I stopped, I, you know, I bought the Death on the Road live album. And after that, I'm like, you know what? I'm not buying any more of their live albums. I can't do it. It's just not worth it. Yeah. I actually don't own any of the live albums, even going back to like uh, uh, Live After Death. Live After live Death one. is probably the only one you need. Yeah, I mean, a real live one, a real dead one makes for an interesting listen. Yeah. And Live at Donington, just for the novelty, you know? Yeah, it's not great. But, um, but Live After Death is really kind of the uh, the, the be-all and end-all, not, not to use an Anthrax lyric. <laughs> Of, of live albums for Maiden. Also interesting, the, the, the track list on Live After Death has one of the one of the few times they play Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner live. I cannot yeah. imagine hearing that live or having to rehearse that to play it live. Uh, you know? it's, it, it, well, I'll do an anecdote that, you know, I'm sure you've heard this from Nico they, when they were playing in California uh, for that tour, for the Power Slave tour, and they'd be playing that and they would get to the to the narration break in the middle. He'd go run from the back of the stage out to like the hotel that was like right behind the, the auditorium and jump in the pool. <laughs> wait to hear he'd wait you know he'd be listening for Steve Harris's bass to start coming back in, <laughs> and then he'd run back soaking wet to the, to the drum riser. <laughs> I could totally see Nico doing that. <laughs> I would too. Yeah, I was, I'd be in the, I'd be in the same boat, especially sitting there with the drum kit and everything else. You know. Yeah. Oh man, that's funny. 
Nico's a bit of a he's he's a funny guy. He's you a know, ham. The, uh, he's a total ham. Well, what what song is it on Peace of Mind with the backwards intro? Oh, uh, 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 oh, uh, still life. Is it still life? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, the the that that backwards intro is Nico talking with a bad Haitian accent. Yep. What ho said the tin with the tray bonsai ho ho ho. Yeah. Just in case you forgot they were British for a minute, you know. <laughs> Just in case. Yeah. I know how you could. <laughs> I I don't know either. I mean, but uh, yeah, just. Yeah, I mean, they. I the, the one of the reasons I love them so much is that they do have that sense of humor. It's like, yeah, it's like you, you listen to Steve Harris talk, and he's the quietest guy you'd ever hear. I mean, and he mumbles. He's a mumbler. He, you know, he doesn't have a and he doesn't enunciate anything. And then you got Nico, who's a total ham. And mm-hmm. it's like, and Dave Murray's, you know, just got a little bit of that lisp, you know, and it's, and then well, then Bruce Dickinson's an asshole as a. Yeah. <laughs> As I've already mentioned, um, by his own admission, <laughs> I, I know I love him, and I love him because he's an asshole. That's the same reason I love Axl Rose. Um, but it's like, for the most part, they're just like down to earth. It's like they, they're just having, they're just getting a kick out of what they do, you know? Oh yeah. Well, their, you know, their their origins, I think, help betray that. I mean, uh, uh, was it Dave and Dave Murray and Steve Harris were were friends in uh, in East London, in you know a very a fairly rough part of London in the uh, in the seventies, you know, and they were now they they played with different bands and they eventually hooked up and uh, got together with uh, uh, with Adrian and then yeah. uh, Paul Diano and you know and eventually you know came around with, with Bruce coming in and. The, you know, the, so these were these were guys that were just you know workaday guys. These weren't uh, you know th- these weren't guys that you know were. I don't, I don't know that fame ever really went to Maiden's head for the most part of the band. You know, Bruce I can make that argument. Steve, Steve, I know is has wrestled with somebody. He, he's admitted he's kind of he kind of got up his own ass for a time. Yeah, um, which is why the X Factor is so dark. Mm-hmm. Um, he was going through a rough time when they uh, he penned most of that album. Yeah. Um, but, but but yeah, I think overall, I mean, as far as a lot of the bands I like, Iron Maiden's the one probably the least amount of drama, you know, <laughs> yeah. compared to some of my other bands like Megadeth. It's like, oh, oh, oh drama. But that's <laughs> why we like Megadeth. Yeah, be, I mean, uh, um, I think it was, uh, I think it was on the, it was on. Oh, you guys were talking about um, about uh, Black Sabbath. Yeah. And you mentioned the Nativity in Black album yep. where they covered Paranoid. He goes, oh, that's perfect for Dave Mustaine. I said, yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, yeah, and they do a great cover of it. That's the only time Megadeth ever played as a three-person band. Really? Yeah, that was... Uh, no, that was post... Uh, who, who had, had Ellison left at that point? No, it was post-Marty Friedman. Oh, but before well, they yeah. hired um, his replacement. Um, was it Sean Drover? Was it Drover after that? Or was it no, the guy from Y and T. I thought it was the no, guy. No, it was the guy from Y and T. Yeah, yeah. But they, they, yeah. So they, they played that one as a, as a three man band. That was also on the soundtrack to Shocker. Yes, yes, it was. Great movie. Which, uh, and uh, oh, no, but, was that No More Mister Nice Guy that they covered for? That? Oh, No More Mister Nice Guy. They played Paranoid on Nativity in Black. Played No yeah. More Mister Nice Guy on. Can we uh, just Shocker. go back for a second? Because it's, I love Y and T, and and I know Rifen's a big fan. It's like, how did the guitarist from Y and T? <laughs> go to play in Megadeth. I mean, I I understand it was for like you know it was for Risk, which was like a weird freaking album. But Jesus, yeah, it's <laughs> you know stranger things have happened. I guess you know uh, he went from lipstick and leather to crush him. 
you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you could make the argument about Crushem being lipstick and leather also, you know? It's very radio friendly. <laughs> I don't I don't know. It's all, it's all over the place. <laughs> well, you know, it's, and, and the thing is that uh, didn't, I mean, Friedman played some on Risk, too, didn't he? <laughs> I can't remember now. I mean, that, that album is, is, is not good. I see, and I, I really liked Risk when it came out, and now I, I like bits of Al Petrelli was uh, who replaced. Oh yes, uh, uh, and he, I mean, he played. Uh, I mean, he played with Alice Cooper. That's at Sabotage. That's where I know Petrelli from. Oh, I Sabotage! Oh my if, God, when are we going to cover one of their albums on this? <laughs> they are totally underrated. Oh yeah. Well, they they, they basically became TSO though, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, yes, they they founded the Trans Siberian Orchestra. You know who must really hate the Trans Siberian Orchestra? Oh. Mannheim Steamroller. Oh, fuck Mannheim Steamroller. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. I said it. I said it. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, come at me, bro. Come at me. <laughs> oh, man. But in, in to getting circling the wagons back to Iron Maiden just for a moment. Everything's a loop. It's all loops. Everything's a loop. That's, that's the message of the album. Uh, this, I mean... I, let me ask you a question now. Now we picked this album again because I think it really holds together as a concept album, as yep. uh, like you said, the, the last hurrah, the 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 classic lineup of Iron Maiden. Yep. Would you recommend this as a first Maiden album? No, I wouldn't either. So I'm glad we're on the same track. No, there. peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Peace of mind or uh, or number of the beast. I think is the way to go. Um, yeah, I mean it. It depends on it depends on how heavy you're looking for and how dark you're looking for. Peace of mind is a little less dark than Number of the Beast, mm-hmm. um, and honestly, it's the first one with Nico. I mean, in the, in the drumming alone on it, you're gonna go, "Oh my god, it's gonna blow the hair off you nuts!" It's like yeah. that's um, not that there's anything wrong with Clive Burr, but uh, no? um, yeah, I mean that's the, the way to go. But I mean, if you if you dig what Maiden does on Number of the Beast. Or peace of mind, you, you know. And Power Slave is pretty. That you know, that's where the orchestration and everything starts to get starts to get to the real complex level. If yeah. you dig that, you you kind of owe it to yourself to to just listen to that run from Number of the Beast through this. Yeah, and um, and if, if you, I found that if you listen to Number of the Beast or Peace of Mind or one of them, you will find yourself rapidly seeking out the rest of them. Absolutely, that's, one after the other. It's just it's just the way that Maiden is. They're you know they're uh, again my my friend Joe, the guy who I said I went to the uh, went to the show with in Charlotte. I got him into Maiden. We went to uh, we sort of went to Clemson together. He he's a couple years younger than me. When okay. I was a when I was getting ready to graduate, I met him. He was an underclassman, and but I worked at Clemson for a couple of years after I graduated, and so him and I got to be good friends during that period. And we had driven to Anderson. I know that means a lot to you folks not from the upstate of South Carolina. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about, people. It's a town over from Clemson. We had driven to Anderson to go shopping. When we're way back, I happened to have a, uh, a, a CD of Maiden that I had burned in my car. And so we started playing, and we played The Trooper. Yeah. I said, I said, dude, you'll like this. It's a song about the Charge of the Light Brigade. He goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, check this out. So he's like, fuck yeah, man. This is awesome. So we got back to his apartment. We threw his that CD onto his uh, GameCube or Nintendo. Yeah, I guess his GameCube because he could play CDs. Did it? Playing... Did the GameCube? No, because I had the mini discs. I had the mini discs. Well, we played it through something he had. Maybe it was a PlayStation. I don't know. 
and we just played it through the speakers that they had hooked up to the television, and then he's like, this is friggin' awesome! Yeah. <laughs> and then now he's a Maiden fan, <laughs> just from the, the Trooper. Yeah. I mean, if 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 the uh, you know if the if the look of metal is not your thing, or the album covers put you off, which I don't know why, it, take all that, take all the 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 you know the 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 fronting of it off, and just listen to the music, mm. and uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Oh yeah, you can't go you can't go wrong with just just picking it out. And and honestly, I think we're gonna get some people listening to the way that we put together this show and checking this album out, just because it's so sonically unique i have downloaded every album if i didn't already have it that has been on this show yeah just because it that really there hasn't been a bad pick yet I, mm. I, I don't think i mean for me personally it's like you know it's it definitely uh you know is opening me up to some other stuff um mm-hmm. you know the the devo show i mean the first one I, I was like, all right, I got to download everything Devo's ever done now. Yeah, <laughs> and it was the same thing with Daft Punk, who I was familiar with. But I, Christ, after that, you and, and Chris did Random Access Memories. I had that album on loop. Oh yeah, I was, uh, ugh, so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that that was one that, and that one kind of came together, kind of really quick. That we just said, hey, let's do this. And man, it, it it really turned out well. And I agree with you. All the the Queen stuff that you know, Sean. Um, who did Sean do that one with? Chris. Uh, with Chris. I mean, I, I mean, I knew some Queen, but that was a little before my time, you know. Yeah. And uh, but man, that album is like I got to get this now, you know. Absolutely have to get it. Yeah. Just, just oh man, good stuff. <sighs> and that, and I hope that we get that here. So uh, you know. Um, you know, I, I don't think we have an email address for the show yet. So, uh, any comments or anything, just throw it to us on Facebook. Yeah, you know, Chris Tyler, uh, Earth Destruction Directive. Destruction Directive. You can email me at Earth Destruction Directive at yahoo.com if you want. And uh, I, hey, go out there, listen to Maiden, tell us what you think. I'm interested in hearing a, a newbie's take on Iron Maiden in 2014. I really am. And I mean I, that yeah, honestly. Me too. Me too. And if you're gonna start listening to him, listen to the to the 80s albums first. Yeah. Because once you once you get to the '80s albums, then you can uh, then then you can start moving forward and get more to the modern stuff. I mean, the modern stuff is is fantastic. I mean, I I love the Final Frontier. There's a couple of songs on that album that you know, I got. I just played them on a continuous loop. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. When Bruce came back with Brave New World, I was ooh, yeah. That got a lot of spins on my CD player. And then uh, Dance to Death did as well. I remember when Dance to Death came out, I was. Um, my, my wife, or she was my girlfriend at the time, was living about two and a half hours away on the Ugh. other side of South Carolina. So every Friday, I would drive from Clemson to Aiken, Ugh. and I would listen to Dance of Death, and you Dance of Death you... usually in Brave New World, both, both yeah. <laughs> the way down and back. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, any, any last thoughts? Anything you want to close out with before we uh, we uh, close the sleeve, so to speak, on Seven Son of a Seven Son? Uh, maybe we should just do the uh, the poem together. Let me, <laughs> let me let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. It'll be, okay. it'll be that'll be cute. People will like that, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. On three. One, two, three. Seven deadly Dead sins. sins. Seven, seven ways to win. win. Seven holy paths to hell, and your trip begins. Seven, seven downward slopes. slopes. Seven, seven bloody, bloody oaths. Seven, seven are, are your burning, burning fires. fires. 
Seven, seven your desires. That was horrible, people. We're sorry. Just listen to the album. Yeah. They do it much better than us, I promise. You went raga with it. I said, my baby left me. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2 True Freaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 2 True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks.
All characters depicted are really stupid and disgusting. Any similarity to actual persons would be really sad. <laughs>